0: We're thinking today about the importance of having a good attitude, and that's something that God would want us to have, and that's something that as Christians we certainly should have. I'll say this, your attitude is more important than your education, it's more important than your experience... It's more important than your abilities or than your skill sets. Your attitude is extremely important. I was reading about a study that was done several years ago of where 20,000 new employees were followed for 18 months. Now think about this. Companies had hired 20,000 employees. And so for 18 months, researchers tracked these 20,000 people to see how they were doing in their job. Well, within that year and a half period, 46% of those people failed. I assume that means they were fired. They lost their job within that 18-month period. And 89% of those who lost their job lost their job not because they couldn't do their job, They lost their job not because they didn't have the abilities or the skills, they lost their job because they had a bad attitude. Only 11% of those who lost their job lost it because they couldn't do the job. The overwhelming majority of the people lost it because uh, of their attitude, and it led the researchers to say this. I thought this was an interesting conclusion to that study. Attitude, not skills, is the new predictor of an employee's success or failure. And so your attitude is more important than your ability. It's more important than your skills. A CEO of a major airline here in our country said it this way, we can change skill levels through training, but we cannot change people's attitude. And so your attitude is very important. And I'll say this, as Christians, whether it's in the workplace or at church or at home or wherever it might be, we should have the best attitude of anybody out there as Christians, as children of God. Now, I know you meant to say amen when I said that, right? I mean, as Christians, with Jesus living in our heart, God giving us the Bible, we should have the best attitude of anybody. And so I wanna just mention three things today. We're gonna look up some verses and I hope this will be encouraging. As you think about your attitude, sometimes we need an attitude adjustment. Sometimes we need, as someone has said, a checkup from the neck up. And we need to make sure that we have a good attitude, a positive attitude, a biblical attitude. You say, now, John, where does a good attitude come from? Well, that's where I wanna begin today. A good attitude comes from having a merry heart, what the Bible calls a merry heart. If you have a merry heart or a happy heart, you're going to have a good outlook. You're going to have a good attitude and a positive outlook on life. As When we were kids, we learned the song, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. And so if our heart is happy, we're going to have a good attitude. Now let's begin. Proverbs chapter 17, look in verse 22. This is one of the great verses in all the book of Proverbs. It says it this way, a merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. Now, let's just say that first part together. A merry heart does good like medicine. And so, if we have a merry heart, it's going to be kind of like we're taking a medicine for our attitude. And if our heart is right, then our attitude is going to be right. Now, one thing that I've learned, and I'm sure you have too, just because you have a merry heart and even a good attitude that doesn't necessarily mean that everything about your life is going to be perfect or that your circumstances are going to be ideal. I heard about one man who was going through a hard time, and as a result of that, he had gotten a bad attitude. He had gotten negative about it. So a friend came up to him and said, hey, cheer up. Things could be a lot worse. And the man said, I cheered up and things got worse. And so sometimes that can happen. Just because we have a positive attitude, that doesn't necessarily mean our circumstances are gonna change. But if we have a positive attitude, that attitude can carry us through our difficult circumstances. Now look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 15. It says, he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. And so if we have a merry heart, a happy heart, then no matter what our circumstances may be, it's going to kind of be like our lives are like a continual feast that our attitude and our happy heart will carry us through whatever we may be going through in life. You say, now that's interesting. A good attitude comes from a merry heart, and we need to have that because a merry heart is like a medicine. Where does a merry heart come from? How do we have a merry heart? Do we just try to psych ourselves up and make ourselves happy and tell ourselves everything's good and everything's going to be okay? No, it's something much deeper than that. Let's follow the progression here. A merry heart comes from a peaceful, satisfied heart. You see, you can't really have a merry heart or a happy heart unless your heart is at peace and unless your heart is satisfied in, in your life and with the things that God has given you and with who God is in you. And so a merry heart comes first of all from having a peaceful heart. Now, this verse in Romans chapter 15 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. In fact, the ministry that we have, one of the ministries here at the church to try to, to get the gospel beyond the walls of the church, we call it peace by believing. And that, that little phrase, peace by believing, came from this verse. It says, now May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And so, believing, trusting God is the key, certainly, to having a peaceful heart. Romans chapter 5 in verse 1, it says, Having been justified by faith... We have peace with God, so you can't even have peace with God. can't have a peaceful heart if you're not trusting in Christ. But when we trust Christ, not only do we have that peace, but we have that joy and we have that contentment and we have that satisfaction. And so we have to make sure that we have a, a satisfied heart and a peaceful heart. You say, okay, now a peaceful heart, if I have a peaceful heart and a satisfied heart, how's that going to change my life? In other words, if I'm at peace with God, through having placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I've transferred my faith from me to Jesus. I'm trusting in him. And so now he's given me peace in my heart. And I, like Paul, have learned to be content in whatever whatever situation that I may be in. So what's, what's that gonna do? You're gonna give me a happy heart, a merry heart, but what is that really gonna do? I'll tell you what it's gonna do, and this is the third thought today. It's gonna relax you, and it's gonna be good for you, and it's going to be refreshing to others. So if your heart, think about this is it peace? And if you are content and satisfied with God and with who He is in your life, that attitude, that merry heart, that peaceful heart is going to do what? It's going to relax you, and it's going to be good for you. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 14 out of the Living Bible. It says, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Let's say that together. A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. If we're relaxed... So many times we're uptight. We're anything but relaxed. We're stressed out. We're tense. And uh, that can cause all kinds of problems. But a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. And so if we are relaxed, if we're at peace it's going to not only improve our lives, it can even lengthen our lives. And then it's going to be a refreshment to other people. Aren't you always encouraged and blessed and even inspired when you're around people who are peaceful, who are happy, who have a merry heart? You know, some people are that way, and they just brighten up a room when they walk into it. They really do. Other people, they brighten up a room when they walk out of it, right? I mean, they... They're kind of negative and down, and you think, goodness gracious, but when they leave, you (laughs) kind of take a deep breath, and the room kind of lightens and brightens back up again. And so, it's very important that we have that good attitude. Now, one other thing that will happen, if you have a merry heart, and if you have a positive attitude, look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 18. It says, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? And so even when we go through times of, 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 of illness and sickness and disease... The spirit of a man will sustain us if we are going through that hard time. I saw my mom experience this when she was going through chemotherapy several years ago for lymphoma. She just had the best spirit and she had the most positive attitude. And when she was down there at MD Anderson taking that treatment, she was, she, her, her spirit was good. She was so positive and she just believed that uh, God was in control and she, that God was gonna take care of her, whatever the outcome of that, of that situation. Her spirit sustained her but in many ways, her spirit sustained all of us. She just has a very positive spirit. My mom's probably the most positive person I know. It's funny, several days ago, we all, the three of us got COVID, and uh, I don't, we don't really know who we got it from. I've been blaming them. They've been blaming me. I don't know where we got it, but we all got it about the same time, so somebody, one of the three of us had it first, and uh, we go to the same family doctor here in Pasadena, and so one day when my dad had, had gotten that and my mom wasn't having any symptoms yet, but they went to the doctor and got, he got a shot and I think she did too. And well, the timing was interesting. Later on that day, I went to the same doctor because I wasn't feeling well and I wanted, to get a, I wanted to get a shot and whatever else he would give me. And so as they were leaving the doctor's office, I was coming up to, we just passed each other kind of in the lobby there and asking each other how we were feeling and everything and And I said, well, you know, we're going to make it, but this is just not much fun. And my mom said to me, she started giving me a little sermon there in the doctor's office. And she said, now, John, she quoted that the spirit of a man sustains him in sickness. And she said, it is very important that we keep a positive attitude during this COVID. And I thought to myself, that's easy for you to say, you don't have any symptoms yet. You're feeling great. But I couldn't tell my mother that, but I thought that. And, uh, but anyway, you know, it's funny. A few days later, she started getting symptoms, and we were calling every day and just checking in with each other. And even though she wasn't feeling well and coughing and all that goes with it, you know, she's had that positive attitude. And so I want to just say today, whether it's something serious and for many people, COVID has been serious. For others, it's not been that, all that serious. But whatever it is we go through in life, if our heart is right, if our spirit is right, the spirit of a man, the spirit of a woman will sustain them in sickness. But who can bear a broken spirit? A merry heart is like good medicine. And there's something about having a happy heart that is at peace with God, that is content in life, that is satisfied with where we are in life, that relaxes us, it refreshes us, and it is a blessing to other people, and it even sustains us when we're going through hard times. Amen? Now, that's kind of the foundation I wanted to lay for this message today. Now, what I've been thinking about as I prepared the sermon, I've been thinking, God, now in the Bible, What is the best example? Of course, Jesus would be the best example for anything. But other than Jesus, who is the best example in the Bible of somebody who went through difficult circumstances, and yet they were able to keep a positive attitude? They were able to have that merry heart, and it sustained them, and it it carried them through. And it didn't necessarily change their circumstances, but it changed them and the Apostle Paul came to my mind. So, I want you to turn, if you will, now to the New Testament to chapter number four of 2 Timothy. In my own Bible reading, I have been reading through First and 2 Timothy, just finished it about a week ago. And in 2 Timothy chapter four, Paul is writing the last chapter of the last letter that he would ever write. Now, he may not have, he. he perhaps knew it was his last letter. He knew his time was coming to an end, certainly. But Paul is in a Roman prison. He's about to be beheaded by Nero, and he knew his fate at the time. I mean, he knew he he was about to die. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse number 6, notice what Paul says. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Do you recognize that phrase, at hand? Do you remember when Jesus began his ministry? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That phrase, at hand, literally, the, the, the image of that is like a cloud above. And that cloud, you look at it, it's a dark cloud, it's a rain cloud, and you can tell the cloud is above you, and that cloud is fixing to drop down the rain. When Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what is he saying? He's saying the cloud is above you, and if you'll repent of your sins and place your faith in me, that cloud will release the rain of forgiveness and salvation and a new beginning, and you can be saved. He, when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying it is here. The time is now, Paul, at the end of his life said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. This cloud is above me, and I know that it's just a matter of time until that cloud lets down the rain, and in this case, the rain is death. Paul knew that he was about to die, and so we could say it this way. At this time in Paul's life, his circumstances were less than ideal, right? I mean, that's, that's bad when you're awaiting execution and probably he knew that he would be beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. Well, not only were his circumstances bad, but think about this. He knew that his circumstances would not change. You know, one of the things that helps us when we go through difficult circumstances is that we have the hope that the circumstances might change and we pray God change these circumstances, and sometimes, many times he does, and sometimes he doesn't. From Paul, we learn that it is possible to have a merry heart, a positive attitude, a relaxed disposition, a sense of contentment, When we're going through circumstances that are not only horrific and painful and difficult, but circumstances that we know are not going to change. So here's Paul in prison. Horrible circumstances. They're not going to change. And he knew it. Something else that made it difficult for the apostle Paul, all of his friends had forsaken him. Look in verse number 9. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas, now Demas had been one of his associates, one of his partners in the ministry. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So he had his doctor friend, he had Luke, but other than that, he didn't have anybody. And so Paul now has been abandoned by all of his friends, and sometimes we feel that way. We feel like our friends have left us. Sometimes we feel like our friends have died. They have died. They left us in a, in a different way. They're just not here for us anymore. And so Paul is having to face the fact now that these people that he had naturally depended on to help him do certain things in his life and in the ministry are no longer there for him. His life now is not the same. Well, it gets even worse. Look in verse number 14. It said, Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith Did me much harm. So Paul had this fellow in his life that had not only forsaken him, but tried to destroy his ministry or tried to hurt him in some way. But then Paul says, may the Lord repay him according to his works. In other words, vengeance is God's. Paul said, I'm not going to do anything to Alexander. We're going to just let God take care of that. And then in verse 16, he said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And so, in the midst of these circumstances, now Paul is having to deal with the fact that he is all alone there. Now, if that's not bad enough, now think about what I've said, horrible circumstances that would not change, the people he had depended on for years are no longer in his life, and not only that, Paul had some unmet needs. Paul had some things he needed that he didn't have. Look in verse 13. He says to Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. What is a cloak? It's a thick wool garment that can also be used like as a, as a blanket. And so as winter was getting closer, in fact, if you look in verse 21, Paul says to Timothy, do your utmost to come before winter. Paul was thinking about the cold weather coming, he's thinking, and he's thinking, man, I'm in this dark, damp, cold uh, prison and when winter gets here, if I don't have this cloak, if I don't have this, this, uh, th- this thick jacket, this, this wool wrap, I'm going to really be cold. And then he said, and the books. Timothy, when you come, bring the books. What was Paul talking about? Undoubtedly here, he's talking about Old Testament books. And he's, he's saying, Timothy, when you come to me, bring some of those books. Bring Psalms bring Proverbs, bring Genesis, bring some, bring the books to me so that I can read from the Word of God. And then he says, especially the parchments. What are the parchments? The parchments would represent uh, like what we would call notebooks, pieces of paper, things that Paul could write on. Maybe he was wanting to write another letter even after this when he knew his time was coming. And, And so he's thinking, you know what? I need that cloak. I need that wool wrap. I need some books from the Old Testament so that I can be encouraged in my faith. And I need some parchments because God may inspire me to write another message to somebody else. But when Paul said that to Timothy, think about what he was really saying. He was saying, Timothy, I have some needs in my life that have not been met. There's some things I need that I don't have. And so bring these things with you. And yet, amazingly horrible circumstances that would not change, abandoned and forsaken by his friends, unmet needs. Paul, as he writes this, notice what he says in verse 17. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Paul was in essence saying, virtually everything in my life that can go wrong has gone wrong. And yet what I've discovered in the midst of all this is that God is right here still with me. And so Paul, think about this. Paul didn't focus on his circumstances. He didn't focus on what he had lost or who he had lost, although that was in his heart. He didn't focus on what he did not have that he needed to have, although he was aware of that. But what did he focus on? He focused on three things. Number one, he focused on the presence of God. Here it is again in verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. Christian friend, can I say to you today, no matter what it is that you may be going through at this time in your life, you have with you and in you none other than Jesus Christ himself. And Paul said, the Lord stood with me. So he focused on the presence of God. So much of life is about focus. I said in our Wednesday night service that the devil, I'm using the analogy from the Old Testament about how the people of of God came out of that Egyptian wilderness for us today, Egypt represents our life before we met Christ. Pharaoh is an Old Testament picture of Satan himself, and it wasn't until those Jewish people in Egypt put the blood on the doorpost and the little beam across their house that they were able to come out of Egyptian bondage. Their coming out under the blood is a picture of us being saved, and they were on their way to the promised land. Many times we think the promised land is a picture of heaven. No, it's not. The promised land is a picture of the abundant life that we can have with God right here and right now in this earth. Promised land in the Bible, now there is a sense, and there's an old hymn, beautiful hymn, about I'm bound for the promised land. And there's a sense in which that's true. But from a biblical perspective, the promised land is not in the sweet by and by. The promised land is what someone has called the nasty now and now, that right here in this life, We can experience the peace, the joy, the abundance, the victory. Remember this, in the promised land, this is the reason I know the promised land is not a picture of heaven. In the promised land, people died. Nobody's going to die in heaven. In the promised land, there were battles and wars, and there was land to be possessed. Well, it's not going to be like that. In heaven, that's all a representation of us possessing our possessions, us possessing what God has given us to possess. But between Egyptian bondage and the abundant Christian life, there's this place called the wilderness. We read in the book of Deuteronomy that it should have taken the people of God 11 days to get through the wilderness, 11 days. And they were there for 40 years, going around in circles, complaining, griping, blaming God, blaming Moses, poor pitiful us. We'd rather be back in Egypt than where we are right now. And the point I made on Wednesday night, I said as they were out there in the wilderness, the devil successfully did everything within his power to get their focus off of God. They focused on their circumstances, their problems, didn't have enough food, didn't have water, all these things. Of course, God met those needs. And I made this statement the other night. The devil doesn't care what or who you're focused on as long as you're not focused on God. I mean, I think the devil defeats a lot of Christians by getting us to focus within Sometimes he defeats us by getting us focused outwardly on other people or on our circumstances. Sometimes we look back and we're defeated there because we feel bad for our sins in the past or we look out to the future and that's our focus now is in the future and we get afraid. We don't know how it's gonna work out. The devil doesn't care if you look within, around, back, forward, as long as you're not looking up. What does the scripture say? What did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse three to God? He said, God, you will keep us in perfect peace If our mind is stayed on you, because we trust in you. Well, think about this. If our focus is on God, on his presence, not only his presence, but on he's fulfilling his purposes in our life. Paul said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. If our focus is on God, we're going to have peace and joy and all those things. But if our focus is anywhere other than on God, we're not going to have that. And as a result, we're not going to have the attitude that God wants us to have. So it's all about focus and having our focus on the Lord. Paul did. He focused on God's presence. The Lord stood with me. He focused on God's purposes. He said, the Lord strengthened me. And he focused on the Lord's promise that he said in verse 8 that he would soon be in heaven and he was going to be given the crown of righteousness. And so he's focusing on all that. And so the way to have a positive attitude, you know, I have to look at my own life and I have to say, John... You're up there preaching today about having a good attitude and having a merry heart. Do you have a good attitude? Do you have a merry heart? I think I could say most of the time I do, but not all the time. I haven't mastered this. I don't think any of us have. We're still works in progress. But as I have thought about the importance of having a positive attitude and a merry heart and a, you know, that comes from a peaceful heart, I was just, even this morning I'm just driving to church thinking about this, and I thought, you know, this whole sermon could really be reduced down to two sentences. Don't you wish I'd just started out doing that? Just two. Sentences. We'd all have a good attitude and a merry heart if I'd have done that. What's the secret to having a good attitude and a merry heart? I think it's these two things. Number one. Number one, we have to be right with God. And number two, we have to have the right outlook on life. Now think about this. You can't be right with God if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you can't have the right outlook on life, really, if you're not a Christian. Think about this. Our outlook on life is based 100% on the Word of God. And what do we learn in this book? That no matter what we go through, God is with us that no matter what's happening around us, God is fulfilling and accomplishes his purposes in our lives. And not only that, he's made promises to us and he's gonna keep those promises no matter. So you know, you think about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Do non-Christians have good attitudes? Yes, many times they do. How does a non-Christian have a good attitude? Well, if you think about it, they would have to just psych themselves up and tell themselves, today's gonna be a good day, tomorrow's gonna be better than today everything, you know, they just kind of have to psych themselves up. But for those of us who are saved, this is one of the great blessings of being saved. We, listen to this, we don't have to psych ourselves up. What do we do to have a good attitude? We fill ourselves up with Bible truth, and then we build ourselves up by placing our faith in those truths for our situation. Last Sunday, I had a beautiful example of this last Sunday afternoon. I got home from church and had a little something to eat. And, and I think my attitude last Sunday was pretty good, actually. But I said to myself, I need to read my Bible. I never, I never read my Bible on Sundays until later in the day. It's just with church and everything, it's just too much in the morning. And so it was the middle of the afternoon. I said, I need to read my Bible today. And so I was, one of the things I was scheduled to read was Psalm 103. It's a tremendous psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases. And he does, either here or there. it It lists all these benefits of being saved. Kept reading the psalm, got down to verse 19, one of the great verses in the Bible about the sovereignty of God, talking about God is seated on his throne in heaven and his sovereignty, his kingdom rules over all. I thought, that's a great verse. I was reading, and I, I thought about bringing it there, and I just didn't, but I was reading from uh, Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible that I love. It has great book introductions and great life applications from some great verses in the Bible. And he had a little life lesson on that verse. And here's what he said. He said, God is omniscient, and that means he knows everything. God is omnipresent, and that means God is everywhere. And then he said, God is uh, omnipotent, and that means God has all power. And I I read I thought, well, that's all true. That's good to be reminded of that. And then he had this next sentence, and I read it so many times this last week, I think I've just about got it memorized. He said, that means, now listen to this. this. This next sentence that I'm gonna make right here, and then I'm gonna stop the sermon. This may be the one truth today. We're talking about, do we psych ourselves up? No, we don't psych our, we we fill ourselves up with Bible truth and we build ourselves up by placing our faith in that truth for our situation in life, whatever we're going through in life. So I'm reading this last Sunday and Dr. Stanley said this. He said, that means, since God is all those things, that he can and will work every situation in your life for your good. And I read that. God can and God will work every situation in your life for your good. Even situations that in and of themselves are not good. Some situations are bad. And yet, what does Romans 8:28 say? Paul said, We know. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what does that mean? It means for Paul in a Roman prison. Listen, Paul wrote on Romans 8:28, And by the time he got in this prison, that letter had been written many years earlier. There's no doubt in my mind as Paul was in that prison that the Holy Spirit was reminding him of what he had written long before. Remember what you wrote, Paul. All things, that includes this Roman imprisonment, That includes having these unmet needs. That includes being all alone. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But think about this today. If you're not saved, what promise do you have that all things are going to work out for good? Well, you don't because it says to those who love God and called according to His purpose, talking about those who've been saved. You see, if you're not saved, the only thing you can do to try to have a positive attitude is just talk to yourself Listen to positive teaching, read self-help books, you know, think happy thoughts, and that's better than the opposite. I'm not against all that. But I'm saying that's a far cry from what we have as children of God. (laughs) We have the Word of God, the presence of God, the promises of God so that we can build ourselves up in our faith. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to say this and stop. If on Wednesday night, with a much smaller attendance than this attendance, four people got saved. I wonder in this service today, truth be known, how many here would say, you know, John, I never have thought about the fact that one of the reasons I have a bad attitude is because I don't have a merry heart. And the reason I don't have a merry heart is I don't have a peaceful and satisfied heart. And the reason I don't have a peaceful and satisfied heart is because I'm not right with God and I don't have the right outlook on life. You know what? I think I don't know. We'll see. But in my heart, I think, truth be known, there would probably be a fair number of people here today who would say, you know what? What I need is to stop trying to psych myself up, and what I need to do is to receive Jesus Christ, place my faith in him, have my sins forgiven, and let him change me from the inside out. Amen? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I never know... At this point, what might happen? I will say this, on Wednesday night at this point, before anybody stood up, in my heart of hearts, I felt strongly that there were people in that service who needed to be saved. You say, well, how do you feel today? I would honestly say not as strongly. I don't feel as strongly as I felt Wednesday night. I'm not going to lie to you and play like I feel something I don't feel. But I do feel that there's somebody in this room today who needs to be saved. I don't feel it as strongly as I did, but I feel there's somebody who needs to be saved. And so if that somebody is you, with our head bowed and eyes closed, would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Lord, change me. Give me a peaceful heart. Give me a merry heart, a happy heart. And God, help me to know my outlook in life shouldn't be based upon my circumstances. My outlook in life should be based upon your word that promises you're always with me you're always fulfilling your purposes and your plans for my life and you're going to keep every promise you've ever made